The reading is from Luke 19, verses 28 to 40. The triumphal entry. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Tim. I'll just pray for Tim as he speaks to us. Father God, thank you that you are a God who wants to speak to his children. And so, Father, we ask that by your Spirit, you would prepare our hearts and minds for the word that you've given Tim for us. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Um, I, I love baptisms. Uh, I grew up uh, as a Baptist in a Baptist church. Uh, my parents were Baptists, and kind of that whole thing of baptism always just carried a power for me. I didn't always understand it, but there was something about the public declaration, the witness, the kind of going into water that just sort of stirred my heart. I think there's a sense of anticipation in baptism services and a feeling of joy and celebration. It's a drama. It's a spectacle. It's kind of slightly, well, weird, if we're honest, isn't it? Getting sort of relatively fully dressed into a tank of sort of tepid water in front of a load of other people. It's a sort of peculiar thing. It's a kind of drama. And therefore, I think, particularly in keeping with Palm Sunday, which in itself is also another kind of drama, where there was the buzz, the noise, the spectacle. So what's, what's baptism all about? What's Palm Sunday all about? Why do we make such a big deal of it? Um, those of you who are in the, part, in the church, church family here will have heard me say before, many years ago I was a primary school teacher and I taught in Filton in Bristol in a tough area of the city. One of the children I taught reception, year one, and uh, one of the children in reception came in and during one of the circle times uh, said, I- I'm going to visit my, my cousins, I'm going to church on Sunday. Kind of everyone looked a bit confused because people around there didn't really do church. He said, I'm going to see my cousin baptised. And then turned to me and said, do you know what that is? Um, and I kind of, kind of went, oh, yeah. And I kind of tried to explain to the children, these are four-year-olds, some of whom could, they were really good at 
chewing my shoelaces, but not much more, some of them. I'm trying to explain the concept of baptism without going all theological on them. And I kind of was trying to explain the spectacle of how baptism worked. It was his older cousin who was a teenager getting baptised in a church. And so I went into the, um, in the classroom. We had a, 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 like a doll's house, a playhouse. And I got the little chap who I called Barry. And I got Barry and I got the fish tank, which didn't have any fish in it. And, and I performed a baptism on Barry from the little doll's house so they could kind of see what full immersion baptism looked like. And then I asked Barry, you know, have you turned to Christ? And Barry said, oh, yes, yes, I've turned to Christ. You know, do you repent of your old life? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And we had this kind of conversation. I mean, obviously, Barry wasn't actually speaking because he was a toy. You've got that right. But So I baptized Barry, and they, kind of, they thought this was amazing. The next day, as you've heard me say, those of you in the church here, Chanel brought in her Barbie and asked if I could baptize Barbie. For the rest of that week, every child in my... I was baptising Power Rangers. I baptised Charlie the bear, who was very, very soggy. But the pinnacle of the whole thing was on Friday, the last day of the week, it was actually just before Easter, I baptised Darth Vader. Which I just seemed a glorious moment, sort of turning from the dark side to the light. Um, there he was, lightsaber and all, fizzing in the water. We baptised Darth Vader. Try and explain this sort of spectacle of what is this? One of the things I said to the children was that baptism is a bit like a wedding ring. Water isn't magic. As I said, this is good old Wessex water. Um, and baptism is symbolic in the washing away of our sins. It's symbolic in a, in, in a new way of life. In the same way that a wedding ring is also a symbol, like a wedding ring, baptism draws a mark on the ground, a bit like Rachel said. It draws a mark on the ground, kind of between the past and the future. Like a wedding ring, it says, from this day forward, I'm making a decision. I'm taking a stand with God, and I want everyone to know it. That's why it's a public thing. And Jesus wants, I believe, all of us to consider baptism. He said, believe and be baptized. There's actually not many commands in Scripture. But one of the ones from Jesus is saying, believe and be baptized. I know maybe some of you here have been thinking about baptism, thinking about your faith. Well, do come and talk to us about that if you'd like to. That's very much what it's been for Sam and Rachel, putting a marker down saying, this is a day I know I'm going to look back to in the future. Whether good times or hard times, I'm going to look at this day and say, I stood in front of those people and I declared my faith in Jesus, my hope in him. So what about Palm Sunday? Where does all of this, where does all this talk of Jesus fit into this? And what's Palm Sunday all about? I know some of you at least will have been watching the Six Nations. I'm trying not to look at the Welsh in the room or any Scottish or anyone else. And the thing about the Six Nations, of course, there was much anticipation beforehand. And certainly for English people, yesterday was a day of anticipation and hope. Will England beat France? It's quite unlikely. We've messed up so many times in the Grand Slam before. Or do you remember the Olympics? When the Olympics were happening in London, there was so much anticipation, expectation. People were nervous. Is it really going to live up to all the hype or is it going to fall flat? Is it going to be a great thing or is it going to become nothing? There's this electrifying moment in history where people are hoping for one thing but unsure of whether it will actually happen. For three years, Jesus had been building his ministry towards this day. For three years, he'd performed miracle after miracle. For three years, he'd healed the sick. He'd raised up the lame. He'd healed the blind, a messianic miracle pointing to the fact of who he was. He'd healed the lepers. And he'd attracted crowd after crowd after crowd who had begun to follow him as he talked and preached about the coming kingdom. 
And then not more than a week before this, he goes to his, uh, the home of Mary and Martha, his friends. Remember, his, their brother Lazarus has died, his good friend, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And by this time, as he gets to Jerusalem, the crowd is absolutely stoked. They've heard of all these miracles, and now they've heard this guy's raising people from the dead. He was dead. This guy, Lazarus, was dead for days. He wasn't just sort of swooning in a corner. He had died. He was in a tomb. He was smelling, and Jesus raised him from the dead. There was such a sense of expectation and hope. Is this the one? Is this the guy we've been waiting for? So Jesus' kind of uh, entry into Jerusalem was never going to be a little stroll that was unnoticed. It was never going to be a casual stroll into the city. Jesus, in a sense, deliberately was declaring something of who he was. He is the King of Israel, the Anointed One, the Promised Messiah, the one who's been predicted for centuries by the prophets. It was a really big deal, and it was always going to be massive. And the crowd sense it. The crowd sense this is the moment. And that Jesus does have the bearing to be the awaited King of Israel. But of course, the king they wanted wasn't the king that Jesus had in mind. They wanted an earthly king. They wanted someone who had incredible bearing and power. A king who wouldn't simply sit on David's throne, but who would lead them in battle against the Romans, against the occupier, against the hated Romans. And he was everything that they could have hoped for in a leader. He was charismatic. He was decisive. He was powerful. He was unafraid of people. He was capable of feeding thousands of soldiers... They they, they remembered that from his miracle of the feeding of 5,000. Any army general would need to feed his soldiers. He could heal the wounded when the battle kicked off. He could even raise the dead when when the Roman hordes started attacking them. What army on earth could face such a king? They wanted an earthly king. But of course we know that when it became apparent that Jesus wasn't going to be the kind of king they wanted... They turn on him. In, within a few days, these crowds who are, who are worshipping him and honouring him and crying Hosanna and waving their palm branches, in lauding him coming into the city, within a few days are the same voices saying, crucify him. He's not the one we'd hoped for. He's let us down. He's not the all-conquering hero. I think in a sense they had an inkling perhaps of this when he didn't ride in on a white stallion but came in on a donkey. Donkeys are great for beaches if you're a kid. But if you want to come in as the conquering hero, then you choose a big stallion. Even in that, Jesus fulfilling the prophetic words, of course, for those who had ears to hear, they couldn't understand. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is from another place, Jesus said in John 18, 36. So what was in Jesus' mind? See, I think I remember Palm Sunday as a child. I remember in the, in the church we'd all cut out little palm branches or we'd make them out of newspapers where you, know, you roll them up and then you cut them and then you slide them out and we could see how long lightsabers we could have to beat each other with. Me and my brothers we were supposed to be worshipping but we had a tendency to want to whack the other children in the group as most children do. You know, as a child I grew up remembering Palm Sunday, remembering the noise and the celebration and the party and it was kind of a really fun Sunday. But what was in Jesus' mind? See, I think it's a real day of strange 
opposites. What would it have been like for Jesus? A day of real contradictions, outwardly and inwardly. Outwardly, the crowds are celebrating him, lauding him, honouring him, publicly acclaiming him as the king. But he knew that a few days later he would be betrayed. That his closest friends even would turn on him, would deny him, and that he would be crucified and die. So what was in his mind as he rode through these crowds who were worshipping him, knowing that those same same voices were going to call for his death. What a contrast. As I grew up, I really struggled to understand about the cross. I believe, I think I've always believed that Jesus died on the cross. I've always believed that the cross was a reality. But I could never really understand what was happening. Of course, I understood the torture, the pain, the thought of being crucified was always horrendous. And the abuse that he suffered, the shame, the pain of that. But that's not why Jesus sweated blood in Gethsemane. That's not why he asked for the cup to be taken from him, because he didn't really fancy being put on a cross and it was going to really hurt. That's not what Jesus literally sweated blood over. See, for many, many years, people didn't believe that Jesus had literally sweated blood. They thought it was a metaphor, because no one had ever recorded times when humans, you can't sweat blood. And then in the Battle of the Somme and in the trenches of the First World War, for the first time they saw soldiers who were in the trenches who were traumatised beyond imagination literally started sweating blood. And suddenly people thought, well, what was going on with Jesus in Gethsemane then? The reason Jesus sweated blood in Gethsemane, the reason Jesus didn't particularly want to go to the cross but said, your will, Father, not my will, is because as Rachel and Sam said, What Jesus carried on the cross was the weight of humanity's entire global, historic and barbaric depravity, sin choices, brokenness. He carried on the cross the weight of the Nazi gas chambers, murdered generations of children, abused teenagers, broken and angry families, war-torn nations, starving, disease-ridden people. He carried my pride. My jealousy, my anger, our fears, our malice, our deception, our hate, our greed, our lust, our brokenness. And that's the true horror of the cross, that he who had no sin carried all of that sin. 1 Peter 3.18 in the message says this, That's what Christ did definitively. Suffered because of others' sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous ones. He went through it all, was put to death and was made alive to bring us to God. So crucifixion, and it's hard to talk about it and we don't feel comfortable, but crucifixion is probably the most brutal and torturous death penalty ever devised by man. In the 4th century, Romans actually banned its use eventually and decided it was too barbaric. For Jesus, his hands were stretched out wide on the cross and nailed through the bones in the wrists. As the nails went through those, they'd strike a nerve that would endlessly send terrible pain up the arms and cause excruciating pain. And then if you hang that way for any period of time on a cross, what happens is the muscles around your chest cavity become paralysed. So you can't breathe. See, crucifixion is actually about suffocation. You can't breathe out. You can breathe in, but you literally can't breathe out because your chest muscles go into spasm. 
But the Romans didn't want to make it that easy. So what they would do is they would take the person's knees and bend them sideways and then put a nail through the feet so that you could lift yourself up on your nail in your feet in order to breathe out and suffer the excruciating pain of taking your whole weight of your body on on the nails through your feet before crashing back down again for the next breath. It would be agony until the end, absolute agony. The pain in the chest would be about to explode and you would lift yourself up on this nail on your feet. It was an unbelievably torturous event. And eventually, Roman soldiers would often break the legs of the person being crucified in order that they couldn't pull themselves up and they would suffocate. You remember in scripture, they go to Jesus to break his legs because they want to remove him before the Jewish festival. But we're told that unusually Jesus had already died. He'd actually given up his ghost, as we use in the old expression, given up the ghost. He had, the spirit had left him and he'd put himself into his father's hands and he'd already died. They didn't have to break his legs. And so you know in scripture they pierce his side with a spear and blood and water came out of the chest cavity. Which doctors say only happens if your heart rips. As I read last week, someone said, you can call it what you want, but on the cross, Jesus died of a broken heart. His heart was rent in two, literally, because of what he carried on the cross. Our sin, our brokenness. You've heard it said before, it wasn't the nails, of course, that held him on the cross. It was his love for you and for me. 1 Peter 3:18. Why did Jesus have to die? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus paid the penalty for you and for I. And I can't help but think, as the people cheered him as he rode past on his donkey, as he looked them in the eyes, as he saw their longing for a Messiah, but was able to look through them and see the brokenness of their heart, what did he think? I'm sure he had such compassion and mercy and love. I'm sure there were so many battled emotions going on in him at that time. And I can't help but think, as he kind of rode through that crowd of people on probably what was a beautiful sunny day, the sky, beautiful blue sky with the sun shining, green palm branches being waved around him, him being lauded and honoured. It must have seemed almost perfect, almost like a taste of Eden. And here was Jesus the burden shared simply by this colt, this donkey, carrying him. And in his heart, in this scene that felt like Eden, he carried the weight of Eden's half-eaten apple. Those first wrong, sinful choices made by Adam and Eve, as they had approached the forbidden tree, as they had eaten from this apple, causing death for humanity. Now Jesus, the second Adam, the spotless lamb, rides towards a different tree, another tree, embracing death again, but so you and I could know life, the perfect sinless sacrifice, who swallows up death. Even in the midst of death, many of us here have experienced the sting of death, the pain of death. But we have a God in whom we can have a hope, who swallows up death itself, rising to death, offering us a new tomorrow. Matthew 21.5 says, See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, 
on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Having salvation. As he rode in, he had salvation. And of course, no one understood it. And so often we don't ourselves. So for us, how do we respond to the truth of the Easter story? So often it seems to make no sense. And certainly to his friends, his followers at the time, as Jesus goes to the cross like a lamb to the slaughter, silent, not, prote- not protesting, not, not bringing down the hordes of angels that he could have done, not raising up an army, he just went to the cross. They couldn't understand it. Everything seemed to have failed. Everything seemed to have come tumbling around them. Had come to nothing. His followers flee, hide, deny him. And suddenly his promises seem to be worthless as they watch from a distance this man climb the hill of Golgotha to be crucified. Why would he do that? What was in his heart as he journeyed? Well, my prayer for all of us this Easter, for you and for me again, whether you've known and followed Jesus for years and years, or whether you're on the cusp of saying, is this real? As we ask the question, God, why, why would you do this? Lord, why would you take that journey? My prayer for each of us in our hearts that we'd hear the simple, his simple words, that we'd see his eyes gazing into our souls and hear him say, it's because I love you. Let's pray. Jesus, on the cross, your heart was ripped into Your heart was broken because of the brokenness of humanity. Our wrong choices, our sin, our pride, our ego, our vanity. But you so loved the world, Father, that you sent your only begotten Son, that whoever looks to him, whoever receives him, whoever yields to him, can know forgiveness, a new beginning, to become a new creation, to be free, the old dead and buried, as in these waters of baptism, as we're lowered into the waters of baptism, it's as though our old life is hidden and buried in Christ. And as Sam and Rachel burst out of the water, we remember that we experience resurrection life at work in us. No longer a slave to the past, no longer a slave to shame and sin, but alive in Christ. And you whose heart was broken in two for us, Offer to take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. So I pray for us tonight, Father. Whether we've known the Lordship of Jesus for many, many years, or whether we're asking the question, Lord, are you there? May we hear your words from heaven, where you too say to us the words that you spoke over your son Jesus at his baptism. May each of us hear the words from heaven, from our heavenly Father. You are my son, you are my daughter, with whom I'm well pleased. I love you. Come to me. And the invitation is for us all, Lord. Come, all who are thirsty. We come to you, we yield to you. May this Easter season, at the foot of the cross, we yield our hearts and lives to you. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite Toby and the band to come up. We're going to just draw to close with some worship. I just want us to be still though for a moment, maybe before we do that, maybe in our own hearts, maybe you want to 
just pray that you would encounter Christ crucified, Christ risen in a fresh way in this Easter season. Amongst all the noise of TV programs and chocolate eggs and all the madness of television and the busyness often of life, I pray that this Easter season you would experience Christ journeying into your own heart afresh. So I just invite you to take a moment to be still. It may be that you want to pause and consider the thought of baptism. Or maybe you're not sure you've ever really received Christ as Lord. And maybe tonight you want to have the opportunity to do that. I'm not going to make a big deal of it, but I want to say that if you want to respond to that in any way, there's loads load of us who would love to chat with you. We've got some things that we can give to you to take away, to read and think about. There's a team later on who would love to pray for you. But let's just maybe pause just for a minute, just to let God's Spirit search our hearts, to maybe do business with him, to refocus afresh on him, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith.